Um, Teachers are doing an incredible job with what we've given them. And it's a really hard road to toe. Something that I think it requires a holistic approach. It requires industry to be engaged and certainly larger players to bring those resources to bear so that, you know, teachers and schools have what they need. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed. This is your host, Annalise Corbin, and I am, as always, super excited because I have awesome guests. Everybody gets to hear me talk about how excited I am every single week, but I truly am always thrilled with the amazing people that come in to share their journeys and stories with us at Learning Unboxed. And so today we have Evelyn Van Til, who is a cultural architect, and that alone is story worthy. <laughs> so um, Evelyn likes to connect uh, tech education. Um, she works in apprenticeships as a consultant, apprentice. She is involved in training. She's incredibly active in the Central Ohio community all around technology, computer science education, lots of work around girls. And quite frankly, she's got her hand in many pots. So welcome, Evelyn. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And we're really excited um, to be able to share a little bit about the sort of integrations of the work that you do and how and why those can translate into the world of teaching, learning, and the future of work in particular. And what I love about having you on today is we spent a lot of time um, talking specifically with, with teachers and folks in the day-to-day traditional K-12 setting. But the reality is a lot of the work that's happening in K-12 is being influenced by the work that's happening with our sort of folks out there in the trenches in the field on the workforce side trying to figure out how do we sort of change the paradigm we're all living in. And that's kind of the work that you're you're in. So absolutely, 100,000 foot view, Evelyn, who the heck are you and what are you doing? <laughs> it's a great question. And I'm excited to be here to share pieces of the story. I moved to Ohio, came, grew up in Chicago, uh, came here to go to Ohio State. Um, and like many people, didn't plan to stay, but <laughs> here I am. Uh, got connected, uh, found some roots in neighborhoods and events and relationships and really loved the work that I was doing and continued to, to continue to grow. And, and hopefully we have in front of us the opportunity here to to shape our region mm-hmm. as a real leader in um, opportunity making for people of all ages. And technology is just driving a lot of that innovation. Uh, we certainly see that at the K-12 level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and and everyone else, you know, we've seen huge shifts in the workforce in the last 20 years or so. Absolutely. And the expectations um, that you can work technology and whether or not you see yourself as in tech mm-hmm. is a different thing than utilizing technology, which is touching every piece of the work that we're doing. And that's everything from 
retail and food service and warehousing logistics to things that we might think of as in tech um, and development and the cutting edge innovation work um, that you see at startups. And it's really, really critically important. And I think that, that that's a, uh, a key spot to sort of really launch in and dig on this conversation because circling back around to your original comment, like like you, I was not a Columbus native, and yet I found myself here. And I can't imagine myself working anyplace else. Columbus is an amazing community. It is Absolutely. a truly, epically amazing community. And people ask me all the time, why on earth are you guys in Columbus? And my response is, there is not a better place to be in the innovation space right now in our country. In many ways, we are leading the way because there's so much startup, there's so much innovation, there's so there's so much collaboration. And whether you're talking about smart cities or you know the the host of other initiatives that have found their way here, we also have um, headquarters of um, some amazing long term companies here, but also you know new startups that have grown and grown really fast and are changing the landscape in their own space. And so because of all of that, this is a community that embraces innovation and change and entrepreneurship and the notion of redefining both teaching, learning, and ultimately work in that space. And I think the tech fields collectively here are really, really pushing on all sides. Absolutely. It's been an amazing journey to see in the last 20 years, um, Columbus growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first moved here to go Ohio State, I confess I hadn't looked at the city. I looked at universities, I looked at programs. Mm-hmm. I made the, my choices based on a lot of those factors. And it just happened to be Columbus. Right. And then I got here, I was immersed in the university. As I graduated and moved into the workforce, I began to find, slowly find myself in the city. And um, at that time, 20 years ago or so, the city was still finding itself. In, and I think in some ways, mm-hmm. we still are finding mm-hmm. ourselves. Absolutely. It's still a really new city. I'd come from Chicago. I expected certain things. Didn't always see them when I got here. Um, but then as I was here, they were emerging or mm-hmm. I discovered them. Right. Great coffee at Stuff's, uh, <laughs> Spoon and Wine, uh, many of the other uh, you know farmer's markets and things that really I had missed mm-hmm. um, coming from Chicago. And the tech innovations, I think, follow up on the tale of food and drink. Mm-hmm. We've seen an emergence of food and drink that has, in many ways, both transformed our communities and the ways in which we connect and, and share our meals together and cultural opportunities to have food from all around the world and many varieties of it. Um, but the tech innovations um, and the changes in the workforce are things that are, I think, driving us to this next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and the analogy I use, and I don't know if it's helpful, but uh, when I got here, I felt like Columbus was like a pimply, self-loathing teenager, you know, <laughs> full of, you know, d- derogatory remarks about themselves and still trying to very much find themselves in the world. And at this point, I would say, you know, we're definitely that strutting 20-something. They found themselves. They're still discovering those next pieces and and but not in a legacy city kind of way right um you know Cincinnati, cleveland chicago like they have enough formed identity yeah and they've got their own challenges certainly and and we share some of them but columbus's ability to innovate and 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 um embracing of change and certainly the collaborative spirit Mm -hmm. is something that when i was 
you know, finding myself in the workforce. And like I said, I hadn't planned to stay here, but I looked around and I kept, I would interview in different cities and look at the, you know, culture there and uh, make the considerations. And I'm like, it's not better. Mm-hmm. It's just not better than what I have. Um, and I like it. And it really was a revelation for me personally. Wow, I want to stay here. I want to put roots down and I have the potential to make good impacts here. Right. And now, you know, many years later, continuing to see the ways in which we can continue to drive that and open doors for more and more people. Mm-hmm. And certainly the startup scene is one that I would say in the last two, three years, yeah, it's, it's been a, a really interesting ride. And and I think that it's an it's not only an interesting ride. It's I'll be perfectly honest with you, and because you know it's funny, folks don't think of Pass necessarily as a startup, but I sort of push on it a little bit in the sense that Pass as an organization is not. We've been around almost twenty years. It's our nineteenth year. So next year, I, I you know get to plan. Hey, twenty wow. years. How wow is that? Right. But the work at the Innovation Lab, this is in fact relatively new, right? We opened the doors in 2016, so we, you know, it takes, a, you know, and, and even when we opened in 2016, we didn't even have our first full academic year until the fall. So we're really only our second full big giant year in. And in many ways, what happens here, it's certainly influenced by the startup mentality of this town. But I would also say that both the work here and the startup mentality of this town has had deep influences in what's happening in the education space in this community as well. And so part of that comes from sort of the big push and ethos a decade ago around um, STEM and STEM education, very applied teaching and learning, but it's been rejuvenated. Maybe that's the way to think about it. I think the startup atmosphere and environment and landscape in our community has reinvigorated the efforts around transformational education and the rethinking and the redesigning of educational systems as it relates to what next. And I believe that Columbus is beautifully poised to lead the world in what's next if we're willing to embrace and understand how the influences right that are being leveraged here can actually in fact be transformational if we allow them to be and i think that's the beautiful space for me where we think about the tech sector and the work that you are doing plays in directly whether it be k12 or post secondary or just the retooling reskilling and upskilling take your pick on the word you want to use the flavor of the day for existing workforce or even emerging in, in new workforce um, opportunities but that comes with a caution Right. And the caution being that we have to be really mindful that technology is nothing more than a tool. And you spend a lot of time training and helping think people and organizations really think about what does it mean to be a tech savvy endeavor. And so I want to start with that before we dig into your work with Apprente, because I think Apprente is the natural iteration of the, the strength that you bring to the conversation. So share with us a little bit about the way you think about helping folks explore and understand the power or the influence, or even the limitations of technology. No, it's absolutely true. Um, transformation is there. It's happening at every level. Um, education, startups, and even many of the um, traditional businesses mm-hmm. are very much um, getting involved in education, the STEM pieces in particular. A lot of good synergy there, a lot of room for growth and transformation, right. for right. sure. But in thinking about technology, it, it's 
absolutely critical, as you said, to think about it as a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think about STEM and I, I like STEAM or yep. uh, sympathy is, mm-hmm. is one of the, the terms that I, I gravitate towards because I, I really like, first of all, not seeing them as just content areas Correct. that are distinct and discrete boxes of science, technology, you know. It's really unfortunate, <laughs> right? More than a decade ago that that was the thing the feds landed on. We all get stuck living with it. But to your point, it is so much more than that. The acronym is irrelevant. Call it what you want. Absolutely. And borrowing, recognizing the strengths of all of those disciplines yeah. and areas and in industry sectors. Right. Um, and borrowing appropriately um, for good synergy and and and, and the, the, the right tool for, for whatever the challenge is. Right. You know, oftentimes the arts get gets forgotten in the mm-hmm. STEM, uh, which is uh, why I like the STEAM. Um, we like design thinking. I do love design yeah, thinking. Yeah, so we actually keep trying to push on folks. Yeah, let's talk about design thinking more than absolutely more encompassing. It doesn't leave. There's no letters left out. Yeah. But I have to admit, sympathy, that's a new one, and I'm kind of rocking that. I run with it. Um, I, I offer it up. I, I, I've seen it pop up in a variety of places. I've not seen it. Um, and... I have a, we have a group here in uh-huh. town um, that meets regularly um, to work on uniquely human STEM, uniquely human skills related to STEM education. Absolutely. Um, and that's where I think, uh-huh. you know, leaving behind those content areas and really embracing the full human. Yeah. And the human development, the empathy, the um, creativity, the innovation, all of those value-oriented pieces are things that are being built in K-12 to and through the duration of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, the tech is an add-on. The tech is right. a tool. Um, and I also, you know, the thing I would add to that is oftentimes when we're talking about tech and we're talking about startups, may lean into a thinking that the technology has to be development. It has to be computer science. Right. has to be coding. has to be high tech versus low tech. Right. Um, and I, I think that's really a limiting piece. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that I would push back against hard skills, soft skills, and use that uniquely human skills yeah. and technology skills as preferred nomenclature because we get too boxed in. Um, we don't have the ability to grow if there's a binary opposition. Correct. If there's a, I'm in tech or I'm not in tech. Right. And we're not recognizing the various ways in which the human, we've always had technology. I mean, it's kind of one of the things mm-hmm. that makes us human. human. That's right. Um, from fire forward. It's, it's one of the tenets, right? Yeah. One of the tenets that those anthropologists, we know a few of them, right? Just a few. Um, just a few. That they say, hey, that's the difference between, you know, this, this human over here and this not. Hasn't hasn't made it to human status. Right? Although we know, you know, many Tools. many ana- many other animals. Absolutely. In addition to right, humans, right? Because uh, humans, of course, they are. It's like animal. I said, it's one one yeah. of the defining factors. It is one of the defining factors. But it's a, but it but it is an important one to to recognize. Back to your point, right? That we've always used tools, right? And so to not lose sight of this thing. Or this whole collective set of things are, in fact, just a tool. It's what we do with them. Absolutely. That matters. That's the empathy part. That's Absolutely. the ethics part. That's the creativity, the innovation piece. Correct. Um, and that's why, you know, it's really important to push back on any compartmentalization mm-hmm. of the, 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 the content areas. Correct. Or the, the sectors. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still trying to find our way in how do we talk about things and not get sucked into tech startups versus, you know, business, <laughs> which fundamentally, if your business, if you're a business and you don't think of yourself as a tech business, 
Mm-hmm. You know, we need to think about how you're using technology in your business. Exactly. And you're not leveraging right. all of your tools. It's the 21st century. And tech all. is not just like the admins in the basement resetting your password and giving you devices. Like it's really a driver for every component yeah. of efficiency operations. Uh, I don't know a single company from like making popcorn forward that you don't use some kind of technology to track, to pay, to organize, to mm-hmm. promote. And really, it's a a piece um, that I think helps open up opportunities is to recognize it's not an either you're in tech or you're not in tech. It's a where are you proficiency-wise in technology and how are you able to use the tools available to you and are they available to Mm -hmm. you? Because that's Mm -hmm. certainly another piece um, is having Wi-Fi, having adequate bandwidth, um, digital access. There's definitely divide issues that help reinforce other social components that divide us. But recognizing that it's not about either you are or you aren't. Mm -hmm. It's about building those technical skills on top of the existing skills that you have accumulated in your life. Um, And meeting people where they are. Right. And that's critically important, right? Because there's a lot of folks that are terrified of how how to get themselves savvy enough to effectively and efficiently use this thing. I know I need to use it. I know it's now a part of my everyday life, but what do I do with that? And we certainly, certainly see it, you know, across a wide array of um, stakeholders. And we bump up against it on an ongoing and regular basis in schools, right? So I want to talk a little bit about sort of the K-12 space before we move into how that then sort of has an impact or drives against the sort of future of work stuff that we've got going on right now. Because the two are the two are linked, right? And the reality of it is that, you know, until we can get our K-12 to think about this transitional moment that they're all sitting in a little bit differently and embrace it for the potential that it has and not the set of switches that we mm-hmm. perceive it to be in a very sort of old school sort of analogy. But, you know, what I'm thinking about is the fact that, you know, we still see what we do in the classroom oftentimes as sort of the day-to-day and then the technology is something that's floating around quite literally in the air around us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's not something that we're, we're using as a guiding principle in many ways to inform the way we are actually delivering education. And we could. We absolutely can. I guess I would start by validating that it's completely understandable that people might be afraid of technology Absolutely. or, um, you know, resistant in, in certain pieces in, in part because it's not always appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because it's cool and shiny doesn't right. mean we have to make an app about it. That that educational uh, outcome is best delivered through an app, through a, some other technology right. means. But rather to think about, you know, how do we integrate um, the capabilities that we already have? How do we enhance? How do we bring efficiency? And how do we support our schools in communities um, and break down this, you know, mobile school in real life right. um, exactly. kind of mental divide that happens yeah. um, that makes it seem like what we're doing in schools isn't real life because it, it should be and it is. Um, and, and the students in the schools are very much living real lives. Mm-hmm. It, it's really, I think, something that in part is a larger challenge of education and the funding and access. And some people have it and some people don't and addressing some of those pieces. And I think also, you know, the last 20 years have brought a lot of change in technology and in education. And we constantly, you know, teachers are doing a lot. Teachers are doing an incredible job with what we've 
given them. And it's a really hard road to toe. Something that I think it requires a holistic approach. It requires industry to be engaged and certainly larger players to bring those resources to bear so that, you know, teachers and schools have what they need. So when you think about as Evelyn Van Til on this journey, when you think about the future of work and where and how K-12 intersects with that, what's the thought bubbles? It's a great question. And it's something I do think about a lot. I am very worried about people in their 20s, their 30s, 40s, 50s who have a lifetime ahead of them to work. But I also think about the foundation that we're building and the need for there to be a solid foundation. And one of the first things that comes to mind is those uniquely human skills Mm -hmm. and how important it is to not just push technology into the classroom, but to validate the very real human development that we are sculpting, fermenting, shaping, um, growing, and to do it in really more empathetic ways mm-hmm. and more empathetic with the teachers, more empathetic with the systems. Um, and certainly we've seen some shifts in how we're talking about assessments and how we're talking about uh, social emotional. Mm-hmm. Certainly that's that's been a real shift, um, I think, in K-12, to um, certainly in Ohio. Oh, absolutely. Um, Na- nationwide. It's a, it's a real push. The last two years in particular, I mean, it's always, it's been there for a long time, but I would say because of changing landscape of legislation in particular, we are seeing additional push and recognition that somehow or another, we have to take a step back and not lose sight of that. Absolutely. And building that emotional intelligence. Right. Because the tech's going to change. And like an insistence on... By the moment. (laughs) Yeah, as like TikTok, right? (laughs) So as we think about, you know, where technology belongs in K-12, I think it's less important to teach specific tech Mm -hmm. and more important to teach lifelong learning, teach empathy, teach these human, uniquely human skills, um, and encourage people to see it as... I'm not working towards graduation, right? Um, which is often one of the limiting. Yes. Yeah, right. Uh, Whether I'm that's cheering, so I went cheering over here for our viewers, but like, yes, <laughs> yeah, yay! <laughs> um, because I, you know, and I've been involved in higher ed as well for a long time, where graduation rates it, it was a big focus of much of my work at OSU was improving our graduation rates. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, though, comes the cost of deferred thinking. Right. Graduation is great, but it is not enough and it shouldn't be the bar by which we are trying A, to measure or B, where our attainment is. It's just a thing I do along the way. Absolutely. And it's in some ways, again, I think about shifting our, our visual mindset of, are we marching along a timeline, a narrative of, I was born, I went to school, I get a job, I die, or, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of very regimented, uh, regimented uh, prescriptive, mm-hmm. um, limiting, time-oriented, uh, progressive uh, lens, but but to one of more of a casserole of of really building and and adding layers and you know day two lasagna. I was gonna say you're a lasagna maker at is heart, like the best, yeah, right? More flavorful, exactly. Day two, the sauces, everything, absolutely. Yeah, I mean any sauce maker, you know yeah. that. Once when the flavors can come together. Yeah. Um, and one of the challenges that I know I share in my educational journey, K to 12, and I hear it, it echoes of it in, in, in all kinds of people, is the disconnect between 
the thing I'm learning and why I'm learning. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the understanding of the learning, right? Mm -hmm. And that is where that disconnect happens. And a lot of what we believe here and sort of the foundational basis of why we even started this crazy thing way back when, right? Almost 20 years ago now is is that recognition that there was a, a tangible and fundamental disconnect in the kiddos that were coming to me in grad school and my colleagues who, who launched Past Foundation, who are showing up in our programs capable. There was no question about capable. Great test takers. Mm-hmm. Fabulous test takers. No clue about why or a willingness to understand and learn. It was a disconnect between I'm going to do this thing and to do this thing, I have to engage in the act of learning and as a willingness to constantly learn new things and to recognize I never have a complete answer. Absolutely. That is really, really tough for folks to wrestle with. In our traditional, as you pointed out, very linear perceived progression. Absolutely. How do we change that mindset? I mean, there's no silver bullet. So, I mean, I, I wish I, like, oh, buy my product. And Wait, you thing. come here. <laughs> we have, you're supposed to come with a silver bullet, Evelyn. But one of my things that I have seen in working yeah. with people is that mental shift often happens with those visual components of really flipping the timeline and being like, everything that you've ever done matters. Mm-hmm. And your degree matters, your you know, the TV shows you watch matter, like all the things, the components, the conversations, the food you've eaten, all of it matters. It's all a cumulative value because it all contributes to the flavor that is uniquely you. And that unique you-ness um, is something that I think we're still finding our way towards in education. Uh, I think the trend still from long ago mm-hmm. is that normalization, right? that forming of like an industrial product, you know, we want to produce workers. And so as we talk about workforce and education, I want to make it really, really clear, like, that's not what I want. I'm not trying to produce widgets. Right. Um, but rather that every single human has value and they value simply by being themselves and that the things that make them uniquely themselves and um, that make me uniquely me are in some ways common. And in other ways, a matter of perspective, because we all experience things in slightly different sequences and in different ways and different triggers, have different tastes, have different interests. Those interests shift over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And engaging in that lifelong learning and that sense that you're not fully baked or done Mm -hmm. until you're like ready to check out. (laughs) I mean, my grandma's 100. She's got plans. Like she has things (laughs) she wants to do. And that interest, that engagement, that sense that like I matter and my voice matters and my leadership matters is something we have to instill in everyone. Um, And that it's not about following leaders or being a widget or stamping people into a particular um, consumable format. Um, It's about helping them see themselves as an ongoing, growing person with with value um, and finding their way in their community to make that impact that they know they can. Um, And that impact will shift over Mm -hmm. their lifetime. But everyone plays a part. And I think you know, stone soup. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) One of the lessons I come back to all the time is, you know, we may not each and other ourselves have um, everything we need, but together, 
you've got cabbage, I've got potatoes, you've got some chickens. We'll make some delicious, delicious and very nutritious stew. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's ir- ironic that you, you, you pulled that sort of example. I vividly remember that from school, right? Yeah. So one of those, those lessons sort of, sort of sticks with. It's a leadership. It's a, it's, it's one of those things I would give it to every person who thinks of themselves as a leader. Yeah. And urge them to think about the people they manage and the mm-hmm. people that they oversee, whether that's their classroom, mm-hmm. in a K-12 space. Every one of those students has something to bring. They do. And I tell people all the time, because I get asked the question frequently, what do you, what, what is, what is the magic, right, that sort of led to the building of this organization, this endeavor, the work that you do? And and my response is always quite simple. There's no magic for starters, but but it, I think it lends itself from recognizing all of the skills or the qualities, however you, whatever label you want to put on it, that 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 every individual in that organization doesn't have, right? And recognizing your own. So for me as a leader, you know, hey, I'm great at X, Y, and Z, but I really stink at A, B, and C, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna staff this place with people who rock at A, B, and C because I don't. And and that is a very different way to think about the way that you you lead or you impart knowledge, and whether it be in your classroom or your organization, that's that's a big sort of sort of step back. And I think you know K twelve is is in that in, uh, amazing sort of precipice sort of space about thinking about you know what what's the job of a teacher? It's not what it used to be by any stretch of the imagination and nor should it be because back to your point earlier we don't live in that time and space anymore and so what we're doing has to shift it has to shift and i don't know if it's helpful but when i wrote my teaching philosophy many years ago i the title of it was uh, welcome to english 110 how may i take your order uh-huh. and i was very much pulling from my background <laughs> at waiting tables you don't get to pick who comes into your classroom right um you don't necessarily control all the things that are on the menu. You still have outcomes you need to achieve. You need to flip that table, so to speak, right. in waitress terms, you know, get them through that process. And as a teacher, you know, you're facilitating that growth. Exactly. exactly. Um, and I think shifting that perspective from I have to be in charge, I have to know all the things to one of facilitation and and um igniting mm-hmm. the passion, the resources, the interest, um, the uniqueness in each individual child is is a critical piece of what teaching means. Right. And that is a big shift, I think, from, as you said, the the where where education was full philosophically in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it leads us as we think towards the future of um really valuing teachers mm-hmm. as people who are setting foundation for the rest of people's lives exactly. in, in many ways. They're they're sort of the shapers. I think about ceramics and like when mm-hmm. you're making a pot and you're spinning on the wheel, the motions that you make at the base, if you don't have a good base, it's whoop, yep. off. And it's so critical those early formative years, that early learning experience is 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 it's forever. It is forever. It's forever. And you can certainly intervene. You can certainly correct and and have lots and lots of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, kids who aren't getting access mm-hmm. in those early years, um, it's something we need to confront mm-hmm. and address. And we can't do it in schools alone. Right. It takes an entire community. It does take a community. And and the 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 thinking in the future of work sort of space is that community 
led endeavor. At, at the end of the day, right? That's really what we sort of see happening is that business industry, our community, our civic associations, our volunteer groups um, who are out there, um, you know, in our in our cities and our countryside, providing the services or uh, lending expertise as folks sort of really shift and think about the stuff that they've got going on, um, are really kind of working in that ethos. And so with that community lens, talk to us a little bit about the work that you're engaging in with Apprente. And just for our listeners, as a reminder, we spoke with Kevin Gadd in one of our earlier episodes, and and we touched just just briefly on the work with Apprente. But I think that it's it's a beautiful segue from sort of the journey that you've had and sort of where the sort of um, impacts and the impacts puts um, in terms of what we're talking about really sort of come to play. So tell us a little bit about Apprente in particular about how your mindset and your experience inside of the Apprente group is going to matter. Absolutely. So I had been running a tech boot camp and I'd seen this need to connect education and applied experience. Right. I'm a big believer in education, but it needs to be connected to applied experience for, for folks to get traction. And in particular, given the changes in the workforce, we have a lot of folks in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s who have many years left in the workforce oh, yeah. and whose previous training has not prepared them for today's jobs. And, and future jobs. So Apprenti really sits in this great space where we're working pe- with people 18 and above who are work eligible in the United States, have a GED high school diploma, and who are interested in increasing their technical skills. Um, we have an assessment online that um, looks at people's aptitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take it up to three times um, to prove your scores. Uh, but the th- the amazing thing, we're removing those barriers of you have to have a college degree right. or um, you have too much experience or the experience isn't quote unquote relevant to what we want you to do over here in technology. Um, when in fact, many of the questions that we're really addressing in the future of work is related to human skills. Mm-hmm. It's related to those customer service skills, the patience, the um, ability to work with people and teams, the creativity, the ethics of things. Um, and most of us, I think it's like one in five, one in three have worked in food service, mm-hmm. um, started our careers. I worked four years in McDonald's <laughs> um, and learned a lot of really important life lessons yeah. about how to work, how to work with people at McDonald's that I continue to carry with me through my entire life. And as we look at changes in workforce, many of those jobs are going away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those front cashier order, Wendy's, McDonald's, other employers have announced, you know, they're launching nationwide right. kiosks right. to replace. Right. So if we look at how are we going to continue to prepare people with these human skills for emerging work when a lot of the entry-level work that people have been doing is getting automated out. Mm-hmm. And whether that is in retail or food service or right. in many other sectors, um, we're seeing that shift. And so we need to confront that um, and think about how do we retrain? How do we continue to allow for that human growth? We can't just once and done it. Like, right. oh, you graduated from high school, you're done. Right. Uh, you graduated from college, you're done because you're not. And how do we maintain that access for people um, to have worked in retail, have worked in food service, have worked, um, served in the military, have done various different occupations and be 
27 right, right. <laughs> and need to uh, get a job and support themselves, um, but also have access to training that makes their skills relevant um, to, the, to the work that needs to be done. And so that's what Apprentice is really doing, is working in that great in-between space of sourcing applicants who are high-quality, work-ready people, and working with industry to identify places for apprentices to be, connecting them with training partners, and providing a wonderfully structured, deep experience where we're not just graduating people and being like, well, good luck, get right, a job. Right. We're over here in career services. I mean, I've done that work mm-hmm. and it's it's you're bailing out an ocean in many ways because you haven't done the preparatory work a long way. Right. Um, they're just now waking up. So, oh my goodness, I should have been networking this right. whole time. Right. Um, and Apprenti provides a recipe that's proven in apprenticeships that we've seen work in the mm-hmm. trades um, to do micro-credentialing, short sprint education, and pair it with on-the-job training. And it's becoming a trend that I think for the better is now coming back into mainstream education, right? We we got rid of it for many years. We 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 were uh, you know so much of modern industrialization was based on that apprenticeship model from way back when, and then we we kind of got rid of it, right? Well, there was a whole and, glorification yeah. of college, absolutely. And have to go to college, and we got rid of Woodshop, right? We got rid of home ec, yeah. and that um, space in which we made things mm-hmm. with our hands, applied that knowledge used mathematical principles to measure right right um and and cut and yeah look. we we shifted away from the applied into the theoretical um we made this massive pendulum swing right and and the pendulum they always come back absolutely it's the beauty of the physics of the pendulum right always um and so it is in fact coming back and what what i the beauty of what I see in this particular pendulum swing is that that I believe, and it is my hope, that um, K-12 high school in particular in that really emerging space will see the value of reintegrating apprenticeship principles, whether traditional apprenticeship um, in the way you think about it or a school or community might opt into it, but to see the value in exactly what you're talking about, the short sprint, the learning that's multiple credentials, the stacking of an experience, because you're giving young people tangible wins to feel confident and good about a the progress that they're making in a real sort of setting but more importantly the contribution that they're making into what they're learning because in the apprenticeship model the apprentice is making as much of a contribution as the mentor and the teacher absolutely i i I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned and i think about pair programming is a great way to think about that and for anybody who's not familiar this is where you're pairing up literally one or two people um teaming up could be three but oftentimes um you're learning no matter where you're coming from so you may have been working in a language and and programming in a language for, for a long long time but if you pair up with someone who's relatively new to that language not only will they learn from you, but oftentimes you learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are often shortcuts, different ways of doing things, or even just questions that that people might ask that cause you to rethink, why is it that we have mm-hmm. done that? Maybe that isn't the best way. Right. And I think it's important to give all people options to, to choose and continue to reinvent themselves. And one of the challenges that I know I face, many other people face, is you really are only picking things from things you see. Right. Um, Whether you're a kid, an adult, most people pick from a a box of crayons they see. Right, because you can't do what you don't know. Most people can't see that. Right. Yeah, I mean, like there's some people, really creative, innovative people who see things that don't yet exist and make those things happen. 
And that's fantastic. But the majority of us, even those who are doing that, are inspired by other people who've sure. done that. We're, right. we're always pulling from tradition from the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from our cultural um, sense of what's possible. Our cultural baggage is with us. Absolutely. It's, it's guiding. And if you haven't seen people who are cloud architects or, you know, who are doing quality assurance, debugging, if you haven't seen robotics, drones, if you haven't seen the capacity of those things to transform industries, if you haven't been paying attention to gamification and mm-hmm. what's happening with video games and you're only thinking about video games as, oh, that's what my kid annoyingly plays, and you're not thinking about the ways in which it's changing healthcare mm-hmm. uh, and manufacturing and conferences and event planning and all kinds of people are seeing how, you know, a website is just basically a game. It's a really right. boring game. But as in the race for eyeballs, if we can make that game more interesting, more sticky, more engaging, we will get more our more return on investment out of that. Absolutely, and I love that race for eyeballs. <laughs> oh, perfect. Here's some great ones going going today here, Evelyn. So I always love to end these conversations, and I always always hate to end them, but because they're so, so engaging, and I learn as much from from my guests, you know, in the conversation that we're having. But but I also know that you know, as our listeners are sitting back there. Um, having um, spent time with us in this conversation, um, thinking about, okay, how can I take what I heard and and make use of that in my day-to-day setting, either in my job, um, in my contemplation of a new job, wanting to to train or do something different, or as a teacher thinking about sort of the, the things I have to offer to my students. What's the big lob? What's the one piece of advice that you would give folks who are out there thinking about very meaningfully the future of work? Social, emotional, empathy, um, that emotional intelligence piece. Um, there's the, we're thinking about the uh, future of work. The tendency is to gravitate to tech. Right. The tendency is to see the shiny. Uh, but the shiny is going to keep changing. Um, the social, emotional foundation, the ability to connect with humans, to care, to grow, to be nice to yourself and others, um, to create and to have space to create. That energy that you put out and that you facilitate, whether it's as a parent, as a teacher, as a manager, as a community member, or in whatever role you you were in, you're creating your reality by the energy that you're bringing. Um, and there's external factors you can't control. But recognizing the control that you do have of the way that you're thinking about things, the way that you're framing things, the words that you're using, the potentially limiting beliefs that you may have for yourself or others, and challenging them. Um, being nice. Um, I guess is sort of the core to yourself, to others. Having that empathy with yourself and others has been one of the ongoing growths of my life. Um, And as I think about the growth in organizations, whether those are schools or industry, the ability to create culture that connects and grows with people, that's where the value is. If you're simply following the rules, people may comply. You may get results that appear to shift. But long-term, people aren't engaged. Right. They don't feel like they matter. And if people stop feeling like they matter in your organization, they're going to look for places where they do. And I think that's one of, been, one of the shifts in Columbus um, that startups have brought is as these startups have, have risen, um, they're attracting workforce. And that's mm-hmm. changing the dynamic of where long-term employers have thought about things. Um, and making them more open to apprenticeship and looking at schools 
Schools are becoming more open to innovation mm-hmm. um, in part because they see what's going on. They are empathetic and wonderful people often, but that direct connection in recognizing the importance that culture plays um, is the most critical piece that I would leave you with. And I would wholeheartedly um, agree. We need to channel our inner sympathy. Absolutely. So thank you very much, um, Evelyn, for making time and joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.